0: Paper P7 – Staying on the Right Side of Ethics Ethics is a crucial and topical area for auditors and accountants and is constantly under scrutiny by both the industry and the press. The ethical codes of auditors are particularly debated each time there is a significant corporate failure and these guidelines change in response to a dynamic business environment. For students – Ethics feature as a key part of the entire ACCA professional syllabus and are examined in many ways in many papers. A good understanding of ethical issues is therefore required in order to qualify as a chartered certified accountant. It is also important to be able to apply this ethical stance and the codes by which accountants are governed to the particular exam you are sitting. In the paper P7, Advanced Audit and Assurance, the ethical focus is on auditor behaviour and the rules and principles that auditors must abide by. Contrast this to the focus in paper P2, Corporate Reporting, where the focus is on the directors choosing the ethically appropriate presentation of the accounts and wider information published, or paper P1, Governance Risk and Ethics, and paper P3, Business Analysis, where it is ethical business practices and strategies that come under scrutiny. This means that when answering the questions in the audit paper on ethics, the focus must remain on considerations, the consequences and the actions to be taken by the auditor, rather than the client or business that is being audited. Within the exam, ethical issues are commonly examined alongside practice management issues, as the implications of ethical guidelines will interlink with the processes and procedures that an audit or advisory firm must put in place to ensure compliance. This means that answers may need to cover both areas and will need to suggest actions required by the firm in order to remain compliant with the ethical rules. From a technique point of view, the starting point is to learn the basic ethical principles that auditors must abide by. These are fundamental principles of integrity, objectivity, professional competence and due care, confidentiality, and professional behaviour. This is the starting point for assessing issues within a scenario, and is also for when there is no specific guidance on an area. These principles sit within a conceptual ethical framework that requires ACCA members to consider and identify threats, evaluate those threats, and respond to them. Where significant threats are identified, appropriate safeguards must be implemented to eliminate or reduce such threats to an acceptable level. This is a part of the ACCA Code of Ethics and Conduct and the IESBA Code. Beyond this general guidance, there are specific rules within auditing and industry ethical standards that should be applied in specific situations. For adapted paper variants, These codes may be different, but they all contain similar principles, even where the exact requirements differ. More details can be found in any approved study text. This, however, will only be a starting place. These rules have been examined already in the initial audit paper, and any question at the advanced level will require an ability to deal with these in more complex scenarios or judgmental areas. Requirements from recent exams show how the issues may be interlinked. For example, in June 2013, there was a question where a new audit client requested advice on the acquisition of an existing audit client, while also wanting financing advice on the potential purchase. This scenario requires consideration of the issues involved in offering advice on acquisitions, such as competence and several independence threats, and takes this further as the target financial statements have been audited by the firm itself. It also extends to dealing with a conflict of interest between clients and confidentiality issues, along with further advocacy threats to independence and the appropriateness of providing financing advice. Questions may also require competency judgments to be made regarding staff seniority and different aspects of individual assignments such as in Question 2 of the June 2013 exam. This question required discussion of which tasks are appropriate for which team members in specific audit situations. Each situation presented may have subtle considerations, which mean that the basic rules must be examined more closely. For example, in the December 2013 exam, one scenario presented a request for valuation services by a listed client. Marks were available for saying that provision of material valuation services to listed clients are not permitted. But additional marks were available for spotting that in this case the amount was immaterial, therefore, subject to other considerations such as competence and availability of time and resources, that this was permitted. In order to tackle these requirements, there is a need to identify each relevant issue and show how it relates to the rules. For example, In the case of the acquisition mentioned here, there is a self-review threat. Identifying that self-review is an issue may score a half mark. In order to score well, the risk of self-review must be explained in relation to the scenario. So here an answer may go on to say that in examining the accounts of the target company, the firm will be reviewing figures it has already audited and may be reluctant to highlight errors in those figures. Further, when auditing the acquisition in the purchasing company, the goodwill and fair value figures will be based on work the audit firm did on the acquisition, and hence a further self-review threat emerges, where again the firm may be unwilling to highlight errors or unable to identify its own errors of judgment. This is a common area where students who have identified the right issue go on to score badly, through a lack of specific explanation in relation to the scenario, or through the use of circular explanations, such as There is a self-review threat because the auditors will be reviewing their own work. Such an answer does not explain what happens as a consequence of self-review, hence why it is a threat, nor does it apply the issue to the scenario. Each ethical threat must be expanded on in order to explain how it arises. Here are some examples of how identification points for specific threats to independence can be converted into explanations. Independence threat. Self-review. Example scenario. From June 2013. New audit client wishing to purchase existing client. Possible answer. The due diligence review may lead to a self-review threat as the firm will be reviewing financial statements on which it has already given an opinion and may be reluctant to highlight errors. Independence threat Advocacy Example scenario As previous from June 2013 Client seeking financing advice for the acquisition Possible answer Advocacy threats may arise if the firm appears to be promoting the client in negotiations with the bank Independence threat Self-interest Example scenario From December 2013. Overdue fees. Possible answer. Overdue fees could in effect amount to a loan to the client. In such a case, the auditor may be tempted to provide a favourable opinion in order to increase the chance of fee recoverability. Independence threat. Management. Example scenario. From December 2013. Owner Managed Business Requesting Audit and Business Advice Possible Answer Providing business advice may result in the firm taking decisions which are the responsibility of the client. Independence Threat Familiarity Example Scenario From December 2012 Prior Year Audit Manager, Bob, is being considered for the Finance Director role at Client. Possible answer Bob will have a previous working relationship with the audit team, causing them to trust him more and therefore lose professional scepticism. Bob will also know the firm's audit procedures and be able to circumvent them. Independence threat Intimidation Example scenario From December 2012, as previous Possible answer Junior members may feel intimidated by Bob as he was previously their manager and fail to challenge him properly. Answers must go on to recommend how to solve these issues. What, if any, specific rules might be in place? What actions can the firm take? These recommendations should be specific to the scenario given and carry an amount of commercial sense. This is one area where weaker students struggle most. The examiner is looking for an application of the rules to the scenario, and rote-learned repetition of the standard rules will score only a minimum of credit. The examiner expects students to spot that the firm is large or small, and therefore whether rules regarding acceptable recurring fee levels from a single client might be applicable. If you are looking at a large firm and a small client, then self-interest due to high fee levels is not a high risk. Similarly, if the piece of work is a one-off rather than recurring, then a recurring fee-level test is not relevant. It is also worth noting that the IESBA code contains additional specific requirements for public interest entities, such as listed companies. The details of these can be found in study texts. Another common mistake for students to make is not to take into account where in the audit-client cycle the question is set, when making recommendations. If the audit has already happened when an independence issue comes to light, then replacing the auditor for the final audit is not an option. It's in the past, and therefore additional partner reviews, possible identification of areas requiring more work, and putting in place stronger procedures for next year are more appropriate. Similarly, if the firm is considering a new client, they can't resign during the tender stage as they haven't been appointed to the position yet. The option would be to withdraw from the tender process. Conversely, if we have a new client we have already been appointed to, then it's too late to start carrying out the acceptance procedures. Acceptance procedures such as professional clearance, assessing client integrity, and considering the firm's competence to undertake the assignment should already have been completed in deciding to accept the client. One way to keep track during the exam is to think of the basic audit cycle and to mark on it where in the process the question is set in order to ensure the right focus of recommendations. The basic audit cycle would be as follows. The first step to enter the cycle would be client acceptance, i.e. decision to take on the client. Then the cycle begins. Audit strategy and planning. Audit evidence gathered. Review and completion. Issue report. Continuation decision, i.e. decision to accept reappointment. And then back to audit strategy and planning. Audit evidence gathered, and so on. When recommending actions in the exam, the basic rule is to reduce the threat to an acceptable level, and if that is not possible... Avoid the threat through not accepting the assignment, or withdrawing. When expressing actions in the exam, be specific. If a piece of work should be reviewed, say who should be reviewing. Is it a manager reviewing a junior's work during the evidence phase, or is it the partner on the assignment reviewing the whole assignment in order to come to the audit opinion? With partner reviews, is it a second partner review you are recommending, such as a concurring partner review prior to the issue of higher risk reports, or is it a quality control review being done after the report is issued to check for compliance? The former would be considered hot and the latter cold. If the correct course of action is to decline an assignment, a strong answer would go on to say that the reasons should be explained politely to the potential client. A final word of caution for the Ethics section in the Advanced Audit and Assurance paper is to check that your answer has the right focus. Always keep in mind that the answers will be actions for the auditor, not the client's management. The appropriateness of management's decision to expand the business into a new market or product will not form part of your answer. It is a common examiner review point that students often spend time in the exam writing on such issues at a tangent to the requirement set. This means that the answer given in the exam appears to be a long and in-depth analysis but scores no marks as it is rarely required. With regard to the ethics of the managers of the client, the considerations for the auditor are whether they wish to be associated with the client, a decision at the acceptance or continuation stage, or whether they need to increase their level of scepticism in the evidence-gathering stage. Keeping the focus on the auditor in the exam will enable students to answer the question set.